0: Welcome to the Anglers Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse, your fishing and outdoor store. And here are your hosts, AC Insiders, Danny Blandford, and Vance McCullough.
1: Welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome to this week's Anglers Channel Insider Podcast, brought to you in part by our friends at Sportsman's Warehouse Ranger Boats, Mercury Marine and with rely on lithium batteries providing the juice i'm your host danny blanford with me my co-host vance mccullough vance it's winter here does it still feel nice down there i notice you're in a sweatshirt it's finally getting uh, a little cool man it's getting where
2: i mean it probably didn't get out of the 60s this past weekend we had cloud cover all weekend and sort of a dry front come through and i got out for a couple hours and caught a few on a swim bait but uh Ask, I mean, that, yeah. it's nice to be cold sometimes i mean we're, we're enjoying the cooler weather down here
1: so you got does it actually set up like fall fishing or just kind of a lull until yep. they start yep. spawning
2: again it was like uh roll 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 nothing 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 and all of a sudden boom you get into a just a bunch of them and 50 a 50 yard stretch they the baits there or whatever and they're there and roll along and, and hit another 50 yard stretch and get three or four bites you know uh so, yeah, the kind of, I think, wolf packing on bait, kind of starting to do a little bit of that early, early pre spawn here. Uh, they will start bedding around Christmas time in some places. If you can believe that. Boo. So, boo. You know, that makes me, it, it makes
1: me not like you very much knowing that you're, you're well, talking it, it, about pre spawn.
2: <laughs> that, that's it. The difference between fall fishing and very early pre spawn here is a fine line, depending on what part of the state you're in. And I'm far enough north, we do get a little bit of that lag where it's more like, yeah, a little bit of fall fishing and it starts for two hours and all of a sudden you get 10 minutes of chaos you know <laughs> right
1: well i don't have any yeah. i can't be thinking pre-spawn yet but i am in pre rut up here in indiana and i know that'll make you jealous i had a call yeah
3: <laughs> one yeah. day
1: last week i had a call we had the windows open and my little uh, i've got some home deer that stay around the house and my home doe i guess she had come in and during a conference call, I was being interrupted by butt grunts and crashing through the yard. We ended up having six little scrubs running these poor little home doves around the house for almost six hours the other day. At times, she wow. would go ju- she would go jump in the creek to cool off because we, it was a warm day. And these little these little scrub butts were jumping in the creek with her. They were chasing her through the water. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it, and I hated that I was on a conference call when it was happening. I was probably a little distracted, so I apologize to those folks that probably know who they are. Um, but yeah, well, nothing, had, nothing interrupts young love, right?
2: I mean, bucks, they're they go jump in the water with her. She goes, right?
1: Dude, I had more. I had, you know, I've got a little creek here in front of the house, and there were more deer swimming in my creek than there were fish last Wednesday afternoon. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, we were talking fishing. Uh, my year in championship—it came and went very uh, lackluster. stubbed my toe on day one. Didn't come in with a limit. And uh, kind of a shame to say, I didn't even go back for day two. I had been neglecting a bunch of stuff around here and uh, you can't stub your toe on day one and run with these boys. So we ended up taking care of some things around here and I'm kind of out of fishing mode for the moment. Had some good fall fishing though. You know, there's some cool stuff up on Angler's channel from uh, my fall fishing excursions this year. Put in a new dual pro rely on lithium fuel gauge in the boat monitors my batteries. There's a feature story up about that that we'll probably put in the newsletter. Um, you know, that's a cool deal with that lithium battery fuel gauge. I was able to go around the boat and if I wanted to see what my live wells pulled, you know, I could flip them on my app on my phone would tell me where I was at. I could go turn on all my graphs, my different transducers, everything, and kind of figure out my total amp load and see it in real time. So, uh, Stoked to get that in, kind of late in the season to put it in. It probably won't get a a full workout until next year, but install went well. Information's good. I'm liking that. So uh, if anybody is old school like me and doesn't have a trolling motor that tells you what your batteries are doing, a couple hundred bucks, dual pro uh, lithium fuel gauge will get you lined out. I put mine in myself and didn't have any trouble, Vance.
2: No, that's gonna know, come in handy for you. You're gonna you're gonna get that every bit of that money right back, aren't you?
1: I think so. It, so. I think so. It's just cool to know. And you know, I'm kind of a geek on that stuff anyway. So seeing seeing what's being used, and uh, you know, the other thing I figured out is that you know I can put some of that back with the alternator when the boat's running and all that. But based on what I'm seeing with my rely man, I could get close to 24 tournament hours without a charge. Uh, wow. Yeah. So I don't do that all the time, but you know, occasionally that stuff happens, you know, you, you go to a park, you stay out of town and some jerk pulls your extension cord or something didn't get connected. And, you know, I've got all the confidence in the world that I could give two, two nine hour days with no problems. And I think I could probably do three eight hour days. As long as I moved around a little bit during the day and the alternator gave me a little bump here or there, I think I'd be good to go. So it's a cool project. It is. It was a cool project. It's a cool gauge. Um attacking your boat with a big hole saw is a little scary so you know my only tip there was make sure you've got a hole saw for the right material you're cutting make sure it's a good one and measure twice because you're only cutting once right so mm-hmm. but once got the hole in got the gauge in that all went well Uh, you know the other product that I got to play with this fall were the new seven reels uh, you've probably seen some of their stuff uh, they came out with a real heavy campaign, really. I mean, you saw the advertising in a lot of places, but that is uh, it's seven SEV IIN, and it stems from seven decades of rod making experience from the folks at St. Croix. Uh, they like to fish seven days a week, seven continents, seven seas, and now we got seven reels. So, um, had two of those, got an eight three. To one um, set that up for pitching light baits and then they had a uh, seven one-to-one also nice setup nice composite finish you know you can check out the full review I did a video review and then we've got a feature over on Angler's channel as well so those were bait casters real pleased with those like I said full reviews up so give that a look and Vance I seen you spin around for a new spinning reel didn't you? I picked one of those.
2: I I, got a – yeah, I'm I'm going to keep up. We were doing show or tell here. So I was playing with a new Team Lose Hyper Mag this weekend when I was catching those swim bait fish. It's uh, 8-3 to 1 gear ratio. So light. Danny, I took this thing out of the box. I expected it to float out of my hands. I'm like, (laughs) it's the lightest fishing reel I've ever owned. I mean, it was a dream. It cast well. I put some – 10-pound floral on it, and I'm able to just chunk a long, long way with that. You know what I mean? Shallow water, spooky fish, clear water this time of year. Uh, It handled beautifully. Love that reel. Love that reel. And while we're on the subject of lose, I also got to fish with one of the new um, Custom Light Rods. 7-footer, made for 6- to 12-pound line. And a baitcaster. We're getting down to that bait finesse system kind of with some of this stuff. And it's a great way to Milk a few more bites with bait casting gear without quite having to go to spinning gear, right? So I get that accuracy, that control, don't have to give up any of that. Uh, and th- those two things were very pivotal. Uh, you know, when I was got out for a couple of hours, was able to make the most of the couple of hours I had on the water. And uh, that's just some stuff people want to get on you get on sportsman.com and you're doing a little shopping. Look at the seven reel, look at the uh, lose hyper mag, look at the uh, you know, all the. Custom light stuff loses coming out with a compliment that series of lures we saw at ICAST that they've got, the smaller poppers and, and smaller crankbaits. That's kind of becoming a big theme in the industry, and i, I got to feel like that would help a lot on the Ohio River when you get it behind somebody else. And tougher water or you are the guys up there are y'all, are y'all play with that stuff yet The, the yeah restaurant? no we
1: we've been doing small baits forever um it's nice to see the development of having more options but you know things like little quarter ounce cordell rattling spots from back in the day those are tiny little baits that always produce Um, a lot of the spinner baits that we throw are smaller you know obviously i'm I, I got one of the new Lou's, uh spinning reel, rod rod and reel combos that you're talking about. Ironically, uh, last week I took a content day with JDJ Outdoors. The guy that does a lot of our social for Anglers channel. And we went out and fished and just absolutely beat on them for a little while. And uh, when I got back, my lose stuff was here. So I didn't get a chance to take it with me and get to feel it. But I did notice that my lose rod, to your point, talking about action and bait specific stuff, they were kind enough to send me a tube rod for a, it's like a seven, one medium, heavy carbon light spinning rod and reel combo uh, designed specifically for throwing little tubes. So I guess they know a thing or two about me and what I like, because I will absolutely mm-hmm. put that thing to the, to the workout. Um, got a couple of different loose products this year and I've been using the spinning reels uh, quite a bit. I've not used the baitcaster very much, but they sent a 3000 size uh, custom light spinning reel that I absolutely love. I typically use a, a 200 or 2,000 size. So when that 3,000 came in, it felt a little big to me. But you know, one thing I've noticed, uh, one, I was wrong. It's not too big. It actually, to me, it feels better. And I feel like with that bigger uh, spool size, that thing, it's got less twist. I'm seeing, you know, fewer wind knots, different things like that. Mm-hmm. And so uh that one kind of taught me that I do need to look at bigger spools. I didn't think I would like that. And I can't remember. That's if, the
2: you know. biggest thing I've learned about spinning rods, spinning reels rather, is the bigger the size of the spool, the less loopage and less memory mm-hmm. and less, you know, all of that you get. It's just so much smoother and it looks funny, but I've got, um, I got some, some smaller uh, spinning sure. rods with 3000 series reels on them because it serves me a lot better That for that very reason, the, the spool size. Yeah, that oh, was a new thing a to key. me.
1: You know, I, spinning reels have not been part of my arsenal for a long time. And, and it's not, I don't have a, a long history of growing up with them or whatever. So I'm kind of DIYing and learning my way through it. But it jumped out at me. I mean, it is a noticeable difference with that three. I and mean, with that being a carbon light, even though it's a bigger reel, it doesn't feel any heavier or any more awkward or whatever, you know. So I've got some smaller dial with stuff that I'd used in the past and switching over to the 3000 size uh, lose custom lights i've been real happy with those so uh yeah. well i'm
2: gonna be honest you know we talked to drew gregory the other day with the kayak adventure series if people didn't hear that podcast they need to go back and listen to that the coolest thing that's kind of be played on my mind since we talked to him was the uh side pot for the smallest bag we're micro bagging now and i saw a couple of posts he had on instagram where you know showing these little fish you can weigh uh well measure them down to five inches right so you're trying to get like a 25 pound 25 inch, sorry, uh, bag would be like the goal. Mm-hmm. I've kind of got some of my stuff out, got to play with some of the old brim fishing gear and little tiny crawfish tubes and spinning rods and stuff. I'm, I might go fish one of his tournaments and just spend the whole time just trying to win the small bag. Just You know, uh, have you, I mean, I've never done that before. If you? Would that not be no. kind of fun?
1: No, I I'm think, you know, bringing the fun back to fishing. Yeah, I thought about it a little bit, too, because if there's any kind of format that would work real well down here, it would be that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. If if you want to make sure. Yeah, right. Everybody's got a limit. You know, they're illegal to bring to the scales for us, but everybody's got a limit.
2: Well, listen, as far
1: as, you know, we're probably boring people with our local fishing talk. We've got an exciting guest today, speaking of, you know, young anglers and and people that are out doing things, Uh, Toyota Series champion, Chad Marizak is going to be joining us. Um, He had a mediocre day one down on Table Rock, backed that up with a stellar day two, and then whacked him on day three. And that young man took home a couple hundred extra thousand bucks. So folks, stick with us. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with Toyota Series champion, Chad Mrazik, and we're going to get the scoop from him. So stick around. Leaders in Innovation. Blues is founded on a rich heritage of building
2: the best. 70 years of cutting edge innovation with one goal in mind, to answer the call of passionate anglers who demand reliability, durability, and tournament level performance. Delivering the best for you
0: to perform for your best, on and off the water. This segment is brought to you by Strike King. Get out there and tie one on.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to this segment of the AC Insider Podcast. We're here today with Toyota Series champion, Chad Mrazic. Chad just came off a big win down on Table Rock. Um, He's been a busy man. I think at this point he's probably got a week or a couple weeks under his belt, but we finally got a chance to catch up. Chad, welcome to the show, man. Congratulations on a big victory.
3: Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I've definitely been looking forward to this one. I'm uh, excited to get things going here.
1: Nope, no doubt. So, have you been a busy man since you uh, left Branson?
3: Yeah, I think since I've held the check over my head, I, I think I've had like three, three or four interviews, or podcasts, or news deals every single day. So it's been it's been crazy.
1: That's cool, man. I mean, that's part of it. You know, I've listened to some of your stuff because I wanted to hear some of your story. You know, and I know you got a marketing background, but I didn't realize how blue collar of a start and all the things you juggled to get there man why don't for people that don't know i think you should tell that story because uh i think fishermen like a man who works hard and you did definitely put the work in the past couple of years man tell us about it a little bit
3: yeah well i appreciate it it's uh definitely you know i always say that people are in different positions you know and that's something that you can never obviously it's something you never you can blame somebody for you know things just work out the way they work out and and um you know, when, when you have a dream, you got to chase it. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have, to, to have some really good support at home. And, and as far as, uh, you know, sponsor wise, have some really good support as well, but, but yeah, man, just started out. Um, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't possible without me going to, work and without me, without me taking the right steps to, to put myself in the right position financially, to be able to go ahead and, and drop everything and chase it. And, and, uh, you know, that's what I did. I, I worked as a mover and, and, um, it was, uh, it was hard work, you know, I, I say blue collar and, and that's uh, exactly w- w- what i describe it as, you know, I was working uh, 18, sometimes 19 hour days and, and, um, you know, I liked it. I, I'm a, I'm a big, big advocate of, of physical work, physical labor and, and and moving is definitely not something that um, uh, I guess is cut out for everybody, especially here in Houston and in, in the heat and those long summers. Um, you know, but I enjoyed it. I come from a football background, so so the hard work was definitely uh, nothing new to me as far as the way I, I was raised and stuff like that. So, you know, working as a mover and, and just spending as much time on the water as I can, like I said, I, I was blessed to be under some really good management, and they saw the vision just like I did, and they were really flexible, you know. You know but it wasn't like uh, I could take a day here and a day there. It was I'm there every single day to get a few days off, you know, cause, cause right. what we do isn't, um, you can't just do what we do with the day, you know, you know, time on the water is everything, but, uh, tournament wise, you got to have a week, you know, or, or, two weeks. Sometimes if you have back-to-back ones, sometimes even three weeks. So I was really fortunate to have, have some good management there. And, and, um, one year, uh, I had to take pretty much take everything and drop it all just to, just to work full time, you know, the whole entire year. And, um, that was a big eye opener. You know, it's just what I had to do. That's all it is. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't take it for granted and I'm definitely not upset that I had to take that year. I'm looking back now, I'm more glad than ever that that I decided to kind of back off of the tournament scene a little bit and, and, uh, especially before things got rolling. Um, I'm definitely glad that I don't have to do it now. Uh, I'm glad that I don't have to take the break now, but, But I'm glad that I took the time whenever I could to, uh, you know, kind of step back. Um, I was still in school at the time online in college. And, uh, you know, I I actually just graduated uh, this previous May. So uh, the schooling never I never really took a break from. But um, as far as that, yeah, I'm I'm definitely glad I took the time to to gather my funds and, and really come at this thing as hard as I possibly could
1: you know, hearing you talk about that break, when you step back, did you, did you find yourself getting more hungry? Do you think it was beneficial to, uh, to grind on 80-hour work weeks and think about the alternative of being a bass pro? And that, that had to help a little bit with focus, right? It's almost
3: sickening. Like you, you have to, I mean, I was moving and I was really busy, but, but I, that's the only thing I could think about is fishing and and being, (laughs) and I love to compete, so um fishing I love being on the water and I love you know spending time on my boat alone I love being in the outdoors but but it's just something about competing that's always has always driven me you know I'm not a crazy hard uh you know super super competitive guy you know I'm, I'm definitely competitive whenever my boat hits the water but I'm not uh I guess I wouldn't call myself super competitive but I love to I love to be in in the competition I love camaraderie and I, I love the uh you know I just love to compete bass fishing I'd say I enjoy being in the tournament scenario more than I do just going out and fun fishing.
1: Mm-hmm. I, we've talked about that on the show some, and I feel the same way. I feel like the prep for an event is probably more fun than the event. There's something about that mental stuff, and, and I know there's a lot of guys that feel differently than me about that, but it's good to hear somebody else say that. And for folks that don't know, you know, that time period you're talking about taking some time off, I mean, you're you're, you're young now, right? 20, how, how old are you? 23? 20,
3: 23, yes, sir.
1: 23, so... For our listeners, when he's talking about taking a break, he's talking about a break very early in his career. And Chad, for people who may not know, I I noticed you had success at the high school level. You fished at the college level. And, and this 2023, what all were you juggling in addition to the Toyota Series?
3: 2023 was, it was full, very full schedule. It was the college series stuff, just pretty much what I could fit in um, and still be relevant. So I was fishing mm-hmm. the college stuff. Um, as many of those as I could, uh, to help myself and to help the school, I was fishing Toyota series. I was in school and, um, I guess that would be it, you know, working in between, uh, everything and and the invitationals and the invitationals (laughs) as well. I don't know how I forgot about that. So yeah. Right.
1: Vance, did you hear that? That's it, man. Just, just college, college courses, college fishing, invitationals, uh, Toyota series work. Other than that, man, he he didn't have any. Not much going on. (laughs) <laughs> well, Chad, I bring that up because we're, you know, Vance and I've been talking to some of you young guys cuz Vance and I, you know, we don't consider ourselves old, but when we talk to guys like you, we we certainly feel that way and we recently talked with Drew Gill and we had a pretty in-depth conversation about using the college platform and all the stuff that's available and and like you, he was kind of doing the same thing, right? He's doing invitationals, he's doing him our Toyota series, he's doing college and and vance and i thought that was great and so now we run into somebody else who's doing the same thing and, and you're on top so obviously there's something to be said for pushing that much vance you got a chance to hear that i mean how what do you think about how this fits in with what we've talked about before i think we're building a generation of tougher anglers what do you think
2: well we are we are danny and and one of the cool things is uh the students have become the teachers in a lot of instances and mm-hmm. uh you know, one thing that sticks out to me is I'd like to know how the young Mr. Mrazik there uh, triggered bites from single single fish with the uh, scope fishing. With all, One of the biggest things that's been impressed on me with from all the live scopers is it's important to find groups of fish, or at least twosies and threesies, because they're more competitive and they're easier to catch. Uh, that being the case, dude, how did you trigger bites from single individual fish, and why would you target those to begin with?
3: yeah so what i noticed is the way i was fishing and and kind of how i targeted the flatter shallower stuff or i say shallow i was still fishing like 20 to 30 foot but shallow for out there what i noticed was it for whatever reason i guess that's just where the smallmouth were set up so um i don't think the fish in the drains that i was fishing for were were keyed in on um bait balls as hard as the ones in the main river were so if that makes any sense i, I think if I were to back off and go to the river channel like I fished on day one and chase, you know, schooling fish, I guess you could say, then, then you know, obviously, yeah, they are more competitive and, and you are more likely to get uh, a lot more bites doing that. But um, my average was a lot better the way I was fishing. And, and um, you know, when I would pull into these drains and these ditches and these little creeks that had fields and, fields and standing timber, I just didn't see many groups. So I I wouldn't say that I was more so like, look, it's not like I would not pass at a group of fish. Um, We filmed the day five episode and I was kind of explaining how I was targeting the single ones. And then of course we pull up and there's a group of them sitting right there. And I'm like, okay, well, here we go. That doesn't really do much for us. But I would notice all my bigger fish were kind of positioned towards the back of the creeks in the standing timber. And I would pull one of them off of a tree and, um, you know, I was trying to throw like a hover rig or, or, or Damiki style bait at them in practice and, you know, they, they would follow it down. But once I got to the bottom, it was kind of just like, it was, it was dead. Like, I don't know if it was more of like a, they don't really, they're not really used to seeing a bait like that, like a shad style bait or a presentation go all the way to the bottom and then just sit there and shake it like a your head or a jig or whatever. So I picked up the jig and, and I was able to get those fish to bite once all the way down to the bottom. So I would pull them all the way off the tree, you know, some of them were suspended as high as uh, nine, eight or nine foot and, and none of them made it on the fall, which was which was really crazy to me, obviously, unless I had a, a group chasing bait like out towards the mouth of one of my little pockets. Um, you know, I would get them all the way down to the bottom and then that's whenever I really had to start putting the work in. I had to like, I had to force them to bite and, you know, I threw a different uh, a lot of different things at them, the jig with the different trailers and and obviously a worm and and stuff like that and um i think the jig is just well first of all first of all it's a confidence bait for me i've been throwing that bait for a long time now and live scoping with it for for quite some time now and and had some good success on it but um it's like a combination of old school and new school so obviously they love Mm -hmm. a jig and you know i don't think those fish are getting hit in the head in 30 feet of water by by a jig with Mm a you know with a a stick bait on the back of it very much so i was able to get them down to the bottom and then at that point it was like i was bed fishing and i was just shaking it a lot of times i think the the biggest one i caught the whole tournament it was like a it was a large mouth i think it was almost five pounds like right under five pounds and i was literally tapping my rod like i was bed fishing wow so, so you're you're watching oh, that on
1: forward facing sonar yeah and, and as long as it's showing interest or it's in proximity to the bait you keep working it till it's gone is that
3: Yep. Absolutely. Keep shaking. I just kept shaking it, but shaking it in place more so than anything. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to move it a lot. Right. So it seemed like they had their tree and they would stay on their tree pretty much. Like kind of like spawning fish. It's interesting. So that's
2: somewhere. resident fish. Resident fish can be territorial. Is that, do you feel like that was a trigger then? These fish lived there and they were being sort of territorial. Hey, this is my tree. And that was the, the deal. So how why well, you were able to catch individual
3: fish when everybody else is yeah. using targeting groups? I'd say, yeah, because I, I wouldn't I think a lot more smallmouth would have gotten weighed if there were a lot of smallmouth out there chasing bait with all the other fish. So definitely, yeah, residential is, is a definitely a good word for it for sure. And did
1: I understand you right? So the, the fish was say maybe eight foot deep below the eight eight foot below the surface. So you probably still had branches and tops there, right? Yes, and then, sir. So, you, so you're throwing to that and then you're following basically as close to the trunk as you can. And they're just trailing mm-hmm. it all the way down to the bottom, huh?
3: Yep. So most of them were like big fields of standing timber, just straight trees, just straight tree trunks. And then every once in a while, I'd say every like 50 trees, you would see one with a bunch of branches sticking off. I don't really know the names of the trees out there. right? That. But every once in a while, there'd be one with a ton of branches hanging off of it. And the branches wouldn't go all the way down, but there would be, I'd say the branches would go like 10 foot deep. And then they'd kind of stop and the rest of the tree would follow way down to the bottom. And when you see one like that, you're you're likely to pull at least one you'll see swim down to the jig.
1: Hmm. What color? Green pumpkin or some combination of it's, green uh, pumpkin? Uh
3: it's just like a, yeah, some combination of green pumpkin. I can't remember exactly what that color is called, but um yeah, just like a like a darker green pumpkin crawfish type color. And then the the trailer was green pumpkin juice. So um just like, yeah,
1: just another variation of green pumpkin. Right. So it's just some kind of natural looking forage at that point. It wasn't like you were right. trying to mimic a, a shad that died or anything like mm-hmm. that. That's interesting that they followed Domiki down, but they wouldn't pick it up once it got to the bottom. And then you throw something yeah. that's maybe a little bit more crawfish colored. I mean, I guess that's yeah. possible they think they see a crawfish falling into mm-hmm. from zero to thirty feet of water, right? So they go down there to right. check it out because that'd be a rare treat and to Vance's point if they live there, anyways. Right. It's not like they're out roaming looking for it. It's just like, hey, there's a snack that fell by my face. Yeah. Uh, I do the same thing with Twinkies and Ding Dongs. If somebody waves <laughs> one in front of me, dude, I'll chase that thing 30 feet if it's you know, free snacks. So yeah. I always love look- go ahead.
3: I, I always love throwing some type of crawfish at at smallmouth. I, I've always thought that that's their favorite meal. And I, I mean, other than a goby, which obviously aren't everywhere. Um, right. I think I think it's pretty hard for a smallmouth to pass up on a crawfish. That's yeah, just something I, I,
1: agree. I agree with that. And it's hard for smallmouth to pass up with some variation of green pumpkin, in my experience as well. Vance went right for the guts of, of the tactic. Talk to us a little bit. When I hear guys talking about drains, and I saw your thing about a flatter drain explain to mm-hmm. our listeners what was different about the ones that you were in is that the the angle that it's falling from the bank to the to the channel or talk a little bit about what you were looking for in your key drains
3: yeah so most of what I found on table rock was was like a bluff wall it's just mm-hmm. steep deep creeks you know some some of the creeks would be like 90 foot in the back of them and you know I could pick fish off in those creeks just like I could in the main river channel but obviously I wasn't very good average doing it so um i was just looking for flatter pockets i guess you could you could say like ditches um we call them drains. the only reason i say drains is because that's what i've grown up calling them here in the south but Mm -hmm. um just flatter ditches like in in relative to uh every other ditch out there like i had uh i probably had five or six of them five or six spots that were set up like this just because there's just not a lot out there. there's not a lot of stuff like this out there so um, I'd say they bottom out in about 35 foot towards the mouth and then obviously they get really shallow in the back and and uh, if you're on the main lake and you can see the back of the creek and you can see the bottom, then that's pretty much what I was looking for in the back of the creek. So okay, most of the creek okay. you most of the creeks you, you're sitting on the main lake and you look to the back of them and they still look like a bluff wall. That's a no-go for me. I wasn't anywhere near stuff like that. So I was okay. looking for the flatter ones. And that's, that's just because I felt like the fall was happening. The transition was happening. Um, you know, th- this time of year is it's a really exciting time of the year. You know, everything starts moving. It seems like everything comes to life and dies at the same time. I don't know. I was just weird about the fall. I love the fall. And uh, I didn't think we had enough time for that for that bait or, or uh, you know, whatever they were feeding on to, to come in off the main lake and get all the way to the back of the big pockets, the bigger creeks. So that's why I kind of targeted the flatter, shallower, um, shorter, like smaller creeks right off the main lake because they did have time for those fish to fire up
1: and those fish to feed. Because they could get to the back sooner because it was a shorter journey, basically. Right. 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 So the, the bait right. could get back there quicker and therefore bass from the main river could move in there quicker.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there's some,
1: yeah, there's some thought in there. I like that. Uh, Vance, what do you got?
2: Well, I think that speaks a lot to maybe time management. Is that, I mean, so often tournament fishing comes down to decision making and time management. If the fish can move back there more quickly and get where they want to be, then I guess you could too, Chad. Is that part of the thought process? I could hit more spots in the day doing this, or did mm-hmm. you really just sort of slow down and milk the same few spots all day anyway? How, how did that play out for you?
3: It kind of worked out a little differently. You know, day two, I had a spot. Really close to takeoff. That I actually started on this spot all three days because I knew the potential. Every time I set the hook there, it was a big one in practice, and and um, I found the spot in pre-practice, and then I fished it once in practice. And both times I was there, I caught one. I caught fish over four. Um, the time when I hit it in official practice, I caught a five-pound smallmouth and like a spot on just under four. So that spot worked out good, and I didn't really expect it to work out as good as it did on day two. But that one, um, it was shallow drain, kind of close to takeoff. But everything else was way far up the White River. Um, Not as far as a lot of guys went, but I was was a good ways up there. Um, And I'd say it was more time management for me to figure that out in practice. So, obviously, I'm not against running around and finding new water and fishing new water in the tournament. I think that's a good thing, and I think that's always a a good thing to have your mind open to, is fishing new water in the tournament. But it helped me a lot in practice once I kind of got out. I didn't really take the first two days of practice into consideration as much as the last two because the weather was so different. Um, I feel like if we would have had the same weather as the first two days of practice, which was rainy and and cloudy and cold, um, I feel like the tournament would have went a lot differently uh, I, feel, I feel like i could have caught him doing whatever i want and then once that weather came in no clouds um it, it got even colder uh high pressure it was just hard harder for me to get fish to bite but like you said time management wise it was better for me to know what i'm looking for in practice
1: what's your home lake chad lake conroe it's just okay. like an
3: hour north of houston
1: Yep, did some TTBCs down there. Um, Oh, yeah. And and I've spent time in Branson on Table Rock. There's nothing really similar, is there? No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't even fish standing
3: timber on Conroe at home ever. So, Rayburn a little bit maybe, but I haven't been to
1: Rayburn in like three years. Talk a little bit, you know, being in your early 20s, uh, Vance and I have been fans of the sport our whole life, and most young guys that came up, they grew up reading magazines, in your case, watching some of the YouTube and the videos and stuff. Dude, when I look through the field of who qualified for that Toyota series championship, I would have been a little I'd have been a little nervous, man. There were some big hitters in there. And I guess you've had experience fishing against some of those guys at the invitational level. Uh there had to be people in there that you grew up watching learning how to fish from, right? Through watching that stuff. Talk to me a little bit about competing against some of those guys. Does that even enter your mind at this point or are you comfortable?
3: Maybe a little bit last year it would, but but this year I've I've kind of uh got the mindset that. I'm sure you've heard it before. You're fishing against the fish, not not who, mm-hmm. uh, not the fishermen. So that's kind of been my deal. And um, this year, the very first tournament I had this year was um, probably even more of a stacked field than the Toyota Series Championship was, if you can believe that. That's it's. Uh, we started the year at Harris Chain in the uh, Toyota Series, and I think there was like a handful of Elite Series guys. There was a handful of BPT guys. Um, of course, there's a Huge amount of locals there, and and locals in Florida, you know, are, are really good, just like everywhere else. And uh, I think that was a that was a really really stacked field, and and you know, we ended up pulling off a, a good event there, and um, kicking off the season with a good finish like that definitely helped you for the rest of the year. Right. Um, slumps happen, and things like that happen, but you know, obviously, you got to fish your way out of those. You can't really get yourself out of a slump by sitting on the couch. So I don't really, I don't really pay much attention to, to, to who's entered in the tournament really. Um, And maybe I should. you know, not that I don't have a lot of respect for, for a lot of those guys or, or most of those guys, because I do, you know, I still look up to the guys I fish against, but, but as far as whenever our boats at the water now, I feel like I'm just, I'm just going fishing.
1: No, nah, that's that's got to be the important part, and I think that that comes from the experience for sure. For those that don't know, you know Chad, you mentioned having a good first event, but you captured a uh, was it a Toyota Series was it a divisional AOI this was it this year?
3: Yes, sir. Yeah, we we won the Southern Division. We got the Angler of the Year title in the Southern Division. So that's awesome. So.
1: And then obviously, you know, you had. Uh, you beat out Emma Wagner, right? And he was B.F. coming off of some big stuff at the BFL level, and he was on fire as well. And then I saw Drew came in third. He was a Plains division, so the cream rose to the top on that one. A lot of young guys in that that, that absolutely shined in that deal. Talk about some of those guys in that. Did college help prepare for some of that, or was it the grinding on the, the other stuff, you think? Um, I'd say it
3: was more so everything else. The college stuff, to me, was kind of just um, – I took it, I took it seriously, you know, but, but this is my second year doing, I was in college during my first year as a, as a full-time fisherman. If that makes any sense at all, it probably doesn't, but I was in college and I was just doing what I could, um, in the college stuff. So, um, I'd say preparation wise, everything else kind of got me more in tune for that. I'd say if I knew what college fishing was, and if I knew what college fishing had to offer, whenever I got out of high school, I would have done it all four years, but Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I I hadn't even Mm -hmm. myself into that realm of, of fishing yet. So I didn't really know much of what they had to offer, but, but, um, college, college fishing, you know, it was, uh, you're fishing against a full field just like every other tournament. They there's uh, some really good fishermen and, and, um, I don't know. I, I just don't really mix myself up too much with, with, what everybody else has got going on what everybody else is doing so like I said I I just I just like to go bass fishing so
1: obviously the system is working Vance coming out winning a southern division and then fishing on table rock I know you've spent time on both what are your thoughts on that diversity
2: yeah I think I what I'm probably most impressed with is like I said the diversity of the uh the lakes there you go like Conroe to table rock and so often we hear somebody talk about doing well somewhere. They talk about finding something that reminds them of home, you know, and now we got got guys that are apparently more versatile than that. I just thought, no, Chad, was there anything at all you were able to hang your hat on? What parts of your experience uh, were you able to apply to your success this week?
3: Um, Diversity, really, I I feel – I feel come, you know, I've obviously had a really short career thus far, but um, I feel comfortable doing. I feel comfortable doing just about anything. Um, I spent a lot of time up north um, on the Great Lakes and and um, St. Lawrence River. I actually dropped everything last summer and 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 moved to to Clayton for like three or four months, and and I was able to make make things work guiding up there and and uh, fishing tournaments as well, and fishing Toyota series and stuff like that up there but just being diverse definitely is, is what's kept me, kept me alive. I feel like uh, the Southern division isn't, isn't my home division by any means. That's, that's more so Florida and, and Georgia. And, and sometimes I think they go to Santee Cooper and, and um, you know, I fished that division once before uh, the previous year and I did. Okay. I, I, I didn't have a, a breakout year by any means, Um but I had it marked off on the calendar and it said, that's the division I want to win. I want to, I want to AOI that division before we keep going to the next adventure. So I'm glad I did that. But my home division would be the like the Southwestern, I think it would be. And that's more like Rayburn, stuff like that. And I, I'm going to spend a little bit more time at home this year. Um, Tournament wise, I haven't, like I said, I haven't been to Rayburn or Toledo or I haven't really spent much time here on Conroe in, in, in years, but um, I'm always able to come home and, and fish on Conroe for a day or two whenever I get a chance. Um, I'm pretty fortunate. My mom works for United, so uh, the airline. So if I have to fly home for for a photo shoot, Sixth cents. one of my sponsors is right here by the house. So if we have to do a photo shoot or something like that, we can take care of it. My dad's got a boat, so I fly home and, and fish here on Conroe. But um, as far as what you asked, I don't – I think just being diverse and having an open mind is is my best part of my game for, for new bodies of water. Uh, I, I know that you're not able to do exactly what you want to do everywhere you go. I, I'm i not going to top 10 in event fishing shallow drains on the St. Lawrence River. That's just not going to happen. I don't care who you are. But um, being diverse, having an open mind, uh, making changes, making last minute decisions during the tournament things like that are, are things that I've learned through tournament fishing. And that's why I'm such a big advocate for putting yourself in as many of those tournament situations as you can is you're not going to learn to make those decisions or, or, uh, trust your instinct or trust your gut by practicing. Obviously practice is great and practice for tournaments is amazing. And, and that's how you find the winning fish, but but learning to make decisions like that, I think you get better at doing that by fishing tournaments. So, so I like to fish as many tournaments as I possibly
2: can. Yeah, and that's one thing that was impressed on me early on. Uh, I was fishing one of the well, ABA tournaments around here, not far from the house, one of the little $50, $75 entry fee tournaments. And the old guy looked at me and said, I was, what, maybe 20-something, you know, you're about your age. He says, you really want to learn how to fish, you need to go get some of these bigger tournaments. You'll be a co-angler or something. He said, you don't learn to play poker by playing for paper chips. Uh, paper clips. It, you learn yeah. to play poker by playing for real money, right? So the higher level of competition, the more you jump into competition, I guess, the more you learn how to play the game regardless of the playing field.
1: Right. Yeah, I think Vancey right. hit on something there, too. You know, we've asked that question a few different times, and it seems the, the younger, the angler that we ask that question to, the less important a home technique is. Right. So so you guys, Chad, you guys are learning that there's not any one thing. It's about being able to do it all. And, and that's a little different, which is interesting, because I, I've heard you talk about in your story about wanting to prove at a level and then move to the next level and then prove at that level and move to the next level. Uh, yet when you're going as far as you are, I mean, from Conroe to the St. Lawrence, obviously diversity. Yeah, it, it's about the bass at that point. Um Talking about upcoming season and fishing in the south, you earned yourself a spot to the Red Crest, right, in March. What else you got going on? So you doing what, what what's on your schedule at this point?
3: So right now I'm um, I'm obviously gonna be at the Red Crest. That's gonna be a big one. I'm really excited to get to that one and, and uh, you know, showcase what we got going on for twenty twenty four that way. Other than that, I'm gonna fish the full division, the full schedule of the invitationals again. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of talk going on with with uh, with changes being made and stuff, in different organizations and stuff like that. But just the way I look at it is, um, I've started my book, so I don't think that that um, you know starting another book somewhere else is really beneficial for me. And and as far as you know, making a living and 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 uh, paying my bills, paying my paying my boat note, paying my truck note, um, I feel in a feel like I'm in a really good position sponsor wise and, and, and financially to be able to make a living um, with the schedule I've got planned next year. So we're going to do the, the invitationals. I think I'm going to, think I'm going to fish nine Toyota series and then, and then maybe, maybe a few tournaments around home and, um, and then the red crest. Yeah.
1: Cool schedule. Do you have a sp- some sponsor announcement that is forthcoming or have you already made one? I thought I heard something about yeah. some, some new plans. Is that something you can talk about yet or not? Um,
3: yeah, kind of, I I can't get really too far into it, but, but we've got a, I've got a big, uh, you know, I've got some help next year coming along and, and, um, something I'm really excited about. I've got, I've got pretty much everything. I've got everything poured into it, just like uh, everybody else at at the team does. Uh, yellow dog tackles is coming on board next year. It's a, it's going to be an online tackle tackle, uh, retailer. And, and uh, just full e-commerce, you know, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We've got an app coming, and and um, uh, you know, they're going to be behind me for next year. So, so that's going to be big and something something definitely keep your eyes open for it. We're gonna we're gonna come at the market really hard, and and uh, I don't know. There's i uh, I've always personally done things a little bit differently, and, and um, I like to express my personality, and and I haven't really had a I guess a, put I haven't put myself in a position to do that super well. Quite yet, you know, I, I like to keep it light and funny and everything like that on the TikTok and stuff like that. But um, I like to see guys who who take a shot with me and, and let me know that they believe in me before any of this stuff happened. And, and I was fortunate enough to to take care of this deal and, and put this thing in writing before uh, before the win or before Aoi or any of this happened. So um, you know, I, I hopped on the sponsorship deal pretty early to who uh, secure some spots for next year and and uh, this guy took a shot with me with with yellow dog tackle and, and we're gonna we're gonna blow this thing up and make it pretty big so other than that got got a few more things in the works and and um, a couple more announcements to be made but but yeah that's that's pretty much as much as i'll, I'll say now so just keep your eye out for that uh, i think we plan on launching on black friday sometime around black friday with the app and the, and the website and everything so, so we'll get that kicked off and get that rolling
1: cool definitely check that out and man you kind of hit on that that's got to make you feel good though you had your deals done they bet on you before you had the accolades so that's got to make you yeah. feel good that yeah. it's not about the accolades and it's got to make them feel good too right hey we're we're gonna make yeah. a probably i'm guessing a significant investment i hope that i hope it works out for this young man and then bam here's you some and bam here's you some more so congratulations yeah.
3: thank you yeah actually uh it was cool the way it worked out i i got um I got my college team on board with it and everything. And, and I, I'm a big fan of China. I like to help everybody who, who's helped me in the past. So um, once I, once I locked this deal in, I got them affiliated with the college team at Lander University there in South Carolina. And, and uh, I think the first tournament, the tournament after they announced that that they were going to be representing them this season, uh, my old college partner won uh, like a 200 boat mm-hmm. tournament on, on Hartwell. And I was like, that's awesome. Guy thinks I'm, I'm a, you know, he doesn't think I'm full of it at this point. And then, right. and then I go and win the first one, too. So so things are definitely on the right track. So I think uh, as long as we keep the momentum going, then, then everything's going to just fall into place just right.
1: Uh, it looks like you've got time. You've got momentum going your direction, young man, for sure about that. Vance, what do you got? Any le- lingering questions well. on your mind?
2: You know, I, I think uh, we need to coach this young man up a little bit here, Danny. I see a rookie mistake in in the press release. There's a photograph, and he's got this lovely young lady holding this $200,000 check. <laughs> I know in my case, if my woman got a hold of that, I'd never see it again. <laughs> Pat, how are you going to get that money
3: back from her? Is she going to help you spend it, or what's up there, dude? Man, I don't know. I think I think as far as right now, she, she's definitely got the idea that I'm fully invested in myself and my business and in, in my brand. So, I think she's gonna be a little lenient on that. And and uh she's she's in law school now too, so so I know that whatever whatever debts are unfortunately gonna be paid. So I think I'm on the right track there as far as getting my money back if she takes me.
2: <laughs> hey, all kidding aside though, that support uh crew is so important. Um family, friends, uh you know, loved ones, those who are closest to you can really be such an asset of the sport, and you're already finding that out. Uh talk to us a little bit about your support network.
3: Yeah. Oh man. I, I, um, it, that, that's huge to me. Uh, I I think I made it pretty known that that I'm a big family guy. I love my, love my family, my mom, my brother, my dad, you know, even my sister-in-law, my girlfriend, they, they're, they're pretty much the ones who are closest to me and, and, um, they all believe in me just as much as the, the other one does. So, uh, it definitely starts with mom and dad. Uh, they, they could have kicked me out and said, you know, you're on your own. And, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, fortunately they, they, they had this, uh, they had just as much as I did and they believed in me just as much as I believed in myself, which was huge. And, and they, they taught me to keep going and um, even if things were getting rough, you know, on the road, they, they, uh they always had, you know, open arms and um, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. It means a lot for them, for them to be like that. You know, I, I'll tell you this. I know for a fact, if my mom had a billion dollars, she'd give me, every bit of it she'd give me every single penny just to make this work um I think I said on stage she'd probably cut her arm off for me and I know she would for sure um you know that's huge she she doesn't let me she doesn't let me fail she doesn't allow it so um you know and then it's fishing at the same time you know things aren't always going to go your way um and, and uh so that was a little hard to adjust to um, at first. You know, I started off the invitational season this year pretty rocky uh, at Okeechobee, which was really not – I didn't really have that in my plans. You know, I, I planned to start the season off really good. And that was just kind of a train wreck of of, uh, of an event there. And, and uh, you know, I had to wear it. I had I had to wear that one on my shoulder to get on get on to the next one. And family, were they were definitely there to support me, to get me to the next event. I think I was in Florida for like five weeks in between – the um, first Toyota and then I think I had like two college events and then I was at Okeechobee for the Invitational and then somewhere in there I was back for the Toyota on Okeechobee so it was crazy I don't know uh, I talked about this with somebody else I think it was Jody White with MLF we uh, I had bad parts of my season but I had enough good ones to keep me going so I never really had a slump i would just kind of have a bad event And then I'd go ball out in three of them and then I'd have a bad one and then I'd, you know, go do good in two of them. So uh, my bad ones were definitely not enough to outweigh the good ones, like by no stretch of the imagination. So,
1: yeah, those um, are growing pains, man. That's not a slump. Those are growing pains. Those are to be proud of and you earned every one of them. And I think that's what helps come championship time is those those little bumps along the way, man, That, that builds character. And apparently it helps you make good decisions on the fly.
3: Yeah, no, I'm definitely excited for for sophomore season there on the invitationals. I have, have, you know, high expectations for myself and, um, you know, going to be free to put in, you know, all the work and, and all the, you know, the travel and everything. I, I love being on the road. And, and I think that's a, some people, you know, I've met along the way kind of struggle with that and, and being on the road and, and uh, being away from family and friends or whatever it may be. Uh, I'd love it. I feel home on the road. so So I'm definitely excited to get back out there next year.
1: I think that's youth too, uh, you know. I think that I think the young man enjoys the road and and thrives on it and is stimulated by it. So you got a lot of those years ahead of you on that part. Talk to us a little bit. Spotted bass, Lay Lake. Is That going to be your jam?
3: Cool. I I love spotted bass. Um, I know Lay Lake Lake's got shoreline grass, so that'd be cool. Um, and I love the spring. I think everybody else does too. So um, should be a good event. Should be should be pretty good. I I uh, you know. I've, probably gonna try to make a spotted bass deal work if I can. Uh, like I said, I spent like two and a half years living in South Carolina um, while I was going to school there. And and I, I learned a lot about spotted bass being on Hartwell and Clarksville and and Lanier and, and stuff like that. So um, I feel comfortable fishing for spots. I feel feel comfortable fishing for largemouth. So I guess I guess I'm just gonna let let the fish tell me what the heck to fish for and, and we'll just go from there.
1: That's right. You know that cardboard check won't weigh any more even though it's a bigger yeah. number, the check won't weigh anymore. So we've already seen you can hold it up and your gal can help. So you've got that part covered. You know what to do with
3: it. Yeah. No, that one, that one's a 100 extra too. So hopefully we can pull that one off too and, and hopefully film another podcast.
1: Hey, that's what I was going to say that, Vance. I think we'll end up talking with Chad again over the years to come. I, I do have one question I forgot to ask. Um, what's your moving schedule look like for the year ahead? You're not a mover anymore, are you?
3: No, no, definitely not going to be in that 26 <laughs> foot moving truck for for a little bit now so full time again on the road and and uh you know we're gonna keep things moving forward i guess if, if things go bad i've always got open arms over there at the moving company to to hop in the truck and and uh you know i don't even know now i feel like being on the road I feel like i'm i'm 60 already but um you know i might have to wear a back brace next time i get into the moving truck but um lost a little weight all i'm doing is eating chicken on the road can and and uh, keeping it pretty simple i don't think anything really much is going to change i don't i don't see um, the way I live or anything like that, it's not going to change. I, I've, uh, I've always kept it pretty simple with, with, uh, with money on the road, you know, obviously this isn't cheap. So, so every, every way I can make this financial burden a little less on myself, I do. So that's, that's where the, the tuna in, in the packs and chicken in the can comes into play. And, and, uh, you know, the crunchy peanut butter too, that, that'll last a week, a good jar of Jif. So, so I'll mm-hmm. have that in the boat as well. So, Hey, uh, if you want to earn works. the
1: old dudes' old dudes' respect, you need to start doing beanie weenies, Vienna sausages, man. That, <laughs> yeah, that, that that's Vance and I's generation. Vienna in sausages it, in the spam. Boat.
3: Get the spam, <laughs> spam. Oh my gosh,
1: spam crackers okay. and mustard, and you'll be like you'll be like the old guard. Yeah, yeah. you
3: don't want to be like us. You ain't missing nothing.
1: <laughs> no, no, you'll be fishing tomorrow, and we're gonna be we're gonna be editing a podcast. So uh, you you do uh, what you yeah. do, man. <laughs> Whatever your recipe yeah. is, keep cooking with it, young man. Chad, thanks for joining us. We're going to cut you loose. Vance and I got to talk some, a little bit uh, of shop here. But uh, I got a feeling we're going to see you again, young man. So look forward to talking to you again.
3: I hope you're right about that. I appreciate you guys for having me on. Hey, thank you. it's right, okay, it.
0: Sportsman's Warehouse is your one-stop convenient place to shop. Whether you're into camping, hunting, or fishing, our expert associates can help you find the gear you need We carry a huge assortment of quality equipment from the best manufacturers in the country and around the world. We have guns, ammo, rods, lures, not to mention every kind of outdoor clothing for the whole family. You can shop in one of our fully stocked stores or visit us online at sportsmans.com. Visit Sportsman's Warehouse, shop one of over 130 locations nationwide and growing.
2: Since 1968, one boat company has stood as the gold standard for quality, performance, innovation, safety, and resale value. Ranger Boats. Ranger's passion for perfection is evident in every boat that leaves our facilities, whether it's bound for lakes and rivers for fishing and fun, or targeting trophy tuna in blue water. Ceaseless innovation results in top tier boats that have made Ranger the go-to for tournament anglers and weekenders alike. And the new Z521R and Z520R, redefine what a premium bass boat can be. Ranger, still building legends, one at a time.
0: This segment is brought to you by Mercury Marine, encouraging you to go boldly.
1: Welcome back, everybody. That was a great interview, Vance. Um, Man, I'm seeing a theme with these young guys, man. They are tough. They are hungry. And they're not bothered by things that bothered me when I was that age. And, man, it's showing out there on the water.
2: Yeah, they're um, well-educated. You can tell they put in their time and they and they scour all the information sources. And there is so much information. And they're not afraid to put in the work when they're off the water. And I think that's such a big part of it, though. Not just the tackle prep and all that, but the middle side, the middle prep. And they hit the water, man. They're ready for business.
1: Well, the last two young guys that we've talked to, you know, they finished one and third respectively, right? You know, our Drew Gill, we talked to him a few weeks prior to the mm-hmm. event. And he and you know he said some powerful things that really resonated with us about making sure he understood the language and didn't have to rely on a middleman and you know his his tournament was the same way as day one wasn't that strong but each day he just kept chipping away at it and ended up with the top three and then of course Chad I mean you know he was what thirteen something on the first day Mike Raber from Indiana was leading with a high teen bag so he was five or I, two I days. Yeah, Raber had day one, day two, and and Chad just kept chipping at it, and uh, he got it done, man. That's mental fortitude. And I tell you the thing that jumped out at me, and I want to talk about this just a little bit, and I want to do it in a way where that ended up being a knock, but, you know, I mentioned stuff would bother me at his age that doesn't seem to bother them, and you look through that field at the Toyota Series Championship, man, it was stacked. Former elites, MLF, BPT, I mean, there were a lot of really good anglers in there. And when I asked that question, our viewers won't see it. But when I asked Chad about it being intimidating, I mean, I kind of felt like he looked at me like I was stupid. Like, dude, there's nothing there to intimidate me. Mm
3: -hmm. And
1: that, that to me speaks volumes about the young class. Because if I ever pulled up and saw some of these people at a ramp, it'd get in my head a little bit. And maybe that's because I don't have the confidence that they do or whatever. But it got me thinking are they tougher or has the star power been diminished some the past couple of years because we've seen so many new stars being born? You follow me? Like yeah. The, the, yeah. The, same, yeah. the same eight or 10 guys aren't winning everything that that mm-hmm. were winning everything when I was coming up and, and really even five years ago. It was a very common set of names at the top. And now we've seen oh. some young guns come in and knock those names off so many times do you think there's still prestige with some of the generation that we follow? Or do you think that the young guys just don't care?
2: Yeah. I think along with the wisdom that that Chad shared there, where he said, Hey man, it's about fishing against the fish, not other guys, you know, having your eyes, you know, your focus where it belongs. I think that's part of it. But to your point, uh, I know when I was growing up, I'd get an old Bassmaster magazine from my uncle There's three events a year you know, on that level. And then there's a classic. And you watch the show on on uh, you know, the Bassmaster show on TNN or whatever. And uh yeah, Roland Martin, Hank Parker, Jimmy Houston, Bill Dance. You see these guys on T V every Saturday morning. There weren't all these other YouTube channels for anybody else to have access. They were the gatekeepers of the knowledge. They were the guys with the magic and the, the secrets and there were some secrets back then, you know. Um Roland Martin been smarter than anybody during his career about using the latest technology, good information, everything to his advantage, you know, to go out and compete and to put a stranglehold on the rest of the competition. Well, now, it's so hard. You know, I was talking with uh, Fletcher Schrock the other day, fishman Fletcher, and he was talking about this. It's not that we don't have secrets, it's just that they don't last two months anymore because everybody wants to be the guy to show you how smart he is on the internet. So there mm-hmm. goes all the secrets. There goes all the secrets. There goes all the Mysticism and the magic and all that, you know what I mean? Where we used to be in awe of these guys. And uh somebody once said that, you know, magic is just like technology that you don't have yet, right? You go back Mm -hmm. 30 years with a cell phone, dude. You know, how cool would you be if you took your cell phone went went back in time 30, 40 years ago, you know what I mean? It's like right. So I think I think there's a lot of that, a lot of the the middle psych out that we maybe experienced growing up is maybe it is gone and maybe it's that way of broader society maybe that's kind of sad you know what i mean you lose some of the mysterious the the mystique and the mystery you know yeah i
1: mean now we're getting philosophical i think from a
2: societal
1: from a societal standpoint you're probably talking more about a respect your elders and and to your point that is eroding some um of course you know whenever i was young my parents thought i was a know-it-all and i don't or that I thought I was a know-it-all. And, I, you know, it's not that I didn't respect them. I don't know. I, I still always respected that, you know, through experience comes knowledge,
2: right? And if you'd have had YouTube back then, just think how much more smarter you'd have been and really stuff in their face. I do
1: know. It. See, I probably would have blew myself up, man. I, I had some <laughs> weird pyro things that I was into as a kid. Uh-huh. I like things to go boom. And, man, I'm glad there was. I'm thankful to have been raised without YouTube because I would have gotten in trouble. And I'm thankful that there's no photo, phone, video proof of anything that went down. Lord have mercy, yes. And and I'm thankful that the only thing I had to worry about was to keep my trouble on a low enough profile that it didn't get circulated around GE. You know, my dad worked at General Electric. And if I ever came home and he said, son, it's all over GE, I knew it was bad. Because that was like that—that uh-huh. that was the Facebook, right? First shift new, second shift new, third shift new. It's all over GE, boy. You've got to do better. And uh, anyways, uh-huh. we got sidetracked there. But no, the young guys are using the technology without a doubt, and and they don't seem to have that intimidation factor. And I, you know, I maintain that seeing King Kong knocked down several times by, you know, a non-King Kong competitor maybe makes you think a little different of King Kong. And, yep. uh, you know, I think these guys are coming out with a mindset that they can do it. They can win. Their peers have won. So, therefore, they can win. And, well, in, in case of, you know, guys like Chad, they're just doing whatever it takes, man. Whatever mm-hmm. it takes. You know, he seemed to be thriving on the gypsy lifestyle. And I made the comment in the interview, I think that's youth. You know, you love traveling in your 20s, too. I, I mean, I love traveling. I, mm-hmm. I was a boat rep and had half the country. I mean, I lived like a gypsy. Never thought anything of it. Yeah. Drag my, my mid 40s year old ass out into the world now and try to send me on a you know a three-day loop through multiple states and it, I just don't travel as well. Um uh, yeah. but you know I know there's guys a lot older than me and you that are still kicking it, kicking tail out there on the tour and they're getting it done. Um, but there's some up and comers that are hungry. They will not be mm-hmm. able to rest on their laurels or they'll get eaten alive out there, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and and Chad nodded to it. The changes in the industry, the tightening of the size of the field going forward in the next year or two with MLF, and maybe Mm -hmm. that's reduced opportunities, and he seemed undaunted by that, almost motivated by that. Uh, You know, again, that's you. That's useful Mm -hmm. enthusiasm, and uh, good on him, man. Good on him. Ride ride that enthusiasm for all it's worth. And uh, they are, you know – they are smarter. They they do learn more these days. The information is there. They're taking advantage of it, and yeah. uh, well, I, you know, I, even even I, down to the electronics on the boat, how to use those, and and he was able to break down his pattern really really well for us. Very, he knew what he was doing and why he was doing it. He didn't look into a few fish.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. Did that seem weird to you? Thinking about a fish that's eight foot below the surface of the water, who would swim down to twenty three feet to pick a crawdad up off the bottom?
2: It doesn't seem weird if the fish would do that. It seems even weirder that somebody would figure out that's what the fish is doing, would slow down enough in a tournament practice setting and study it enough to put all that together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So good well, on I him had a, for doing that.
1: Yeah, I had a light bulb go off when we were talking to him because in prep for that tournament that I referenced to you, uh, I was fishing a fairly narrow creek, but there was a shelf. There was some wood on it. And several different times I would look with my forward facing transducer and I would see a cluster of fish there. And on a couple of occasions, you know, I was going down the bank, flipping a small finesse jig, but I would turn the scope out. I would see something I would throw out there. I caught two wipers, you know, white bass hybrid mix, Mm -hmm. caught two wipers over five pounds on a finesse jig off a standing timber out on the Creek channel. And both times, I threw out there. I saw the fish go down. I saw it eat it. And and both times I thought, dude, that's got to be a big one, you know, and I I caught those two wipers and I I quit doing it. But ironically enough, where we were catching good quality bass, there were wipers mixed in with them. And when he was talking about that, it got me thinking about my own example of, well, yeah, maybe, maybe there were, there were good quality bass mixed in with those wipers and the wipers were just the more aggressive ones. But yeah, I, I only did it. I probably threw it four groups with that uh, little finesse jig, but I caught two fish. So 50% of the time I would throw over there and catch one. It just was the wrong species and I wrote it off and I'm thinking now probably should play with that a little bit more because several times I've seen guys talk and I watched a show with Defoe, uh, one of his programs, which that's the first time I've watched Ott's program and the videography and it was fantastic, but he was throwing Alabama rigs and just, smacking a wiper, getting it unhooked, throwing it back, and then throwing it in there and catching a big fish and, uh, you know, a big bass. And so Chad talking about, to your point of figuring all that out, and then, you know, to have the patience to let a jig fall down there and then mm-hmm. be, tap- you know, I do the tapping trick. Like it's almost like packing a can of chew or something, you know, you just pop, pop, mm-hmm. pop on the rod. Uh, but I would never have thought to do that for a fish that's sitting at 22 feet, that I'm looking on at scope.
2: Right, yeah. He's just right. kind of bringing together everything he knows. Like, okay, this is, the got one on the bed looking at a bait, and as long as they're showing interest, I'm going to keep working it. Well, hey, maybe it works here on, on the bottom in 20 foot of water as well. I mean, the fish is down there looking at it, and I can tell this now because i got underwater eyes. Well, I did this. I manipulated the bait this way. He got this reaction. Fish was starting to ease off. I shook it a little. He got that right nose back down on it, you know. Uh Just amazing um what we can do with the ability that we have now, our underwater eyes, and the way these young men are, are using that. Uh, it's just, I'm constantly uh, just entertained, to say the least, by what, what I'm learning uh, here, the different ways people are using the technology. It's really, really fun.
1: That's one thing that surprised me on doing these podcasts, is when we talk to these guys and, and kind of get those things. And, you know, I'm sure we have listeners that listen to the whole thing, but, uh, you and I get to hear the whole thing and and before we hit record and after we hit record. And it's been very informative, you know, to learn about their mm-hmm. mindset and some of the stuff they're doing. And and I'm kind of surprised I've seen some things that used to be old come back, you know, the jig and worm, the jig and worm combo. I I can remember some really old Bassmaster magazines where I read about that. Now they were mainly, you know, a curltail worm, but mm-hmm. You know, I would say that that was written about extensively in the eighties, and I don't. And all those
2: bass are dead now,
1: right? Those
2: bass are dead. So this is new again, you know. And a lot of those
1: bass bass fishermen that were reading about it, they're they're getting they're getting that sometimes syndrome where sometimes they can remember and sometimes they can't. Yeah. So you know, see these young guys bring it back and do it, and I, I think it's cool. And props to Chad on a good victory and a great podcast. He was polished at this point. I think he's done several of them, but. Uh, I love hearing those stories, and I love hearing determination in youth. I think that's the mm-hmm. the past couple times we've gotten an opportunity to talk to some of these young guys. I hear determination, and I love that. You
2: well, know, the future is bright, Dan. The future is bright in, in the sport of competitive bass fishing. It's just encouraging. I, I enjoy talking to
1: these guys. It's Well, it's bright for them. For me, sitting back in my 40s thinking maybe there's still time, dude, It's it's not bright. It's bleak because these boys will <laughs> take my lunch money so fast that – you know, yeah. I got to, I'm I'm slowly putting a dream to bed here, and that part's kind of sad. But you know, <laughs> s- speaking of determination, one thing I'm determined to do is to still get up a tree this afternoon. So uh, I know I got to rub it in a little bit because you can go out back and catch. Yeah. So,
2: well, I got to go to football practice. See these little little guys I'm coaching over here at the, uh, the academy with my buddy. Jump, them yeah, I'll help you coach football. You know, we'll be done by end of October, okay, well, they, they done messed around and got into the state championship this weekend, so here I go, another week of coaching high school football, and uh, Saturday we'll ride down there and do what we can do, yeah, but I enjoy Bernie, it. You're they're, breeding Bernie.
1: champions, you should be proud of that, dude, as you a know, coach.
2: Yeah, yeah, I can't complain too much. I was going to fish a tournament this Saturday, so it's keeping me off the water, but I tell you what, they're a great group of kids, they're great families, and I'm uh, very fortunate to get to know these young men, their families, so... It's always a happy, sad deal, right? Um, yep. All right, those, those fish aren't going anywhere, man. Those fish aren't going anywhere. I'll catch it with them next week. <laughs>
1: well, I'm worried so. that my deer may be going over to the neighbor's farm. So with, oh, that, boy. with that said, let's put this thing on the trailer. We appreciate everybody listening. We appreciate Chad for joining us and MLF for helping make the connection. So with that, tight lines and bent poles to everybody. Vance and I are out of here.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse. Also brought to you in part by Pro Charging Systems, makers of the Dual Pro Chargers, T.H. Marine, Trick Step, Toyota Bonus Bucks, Costa Conserve and Compete, and of course, AnglersChannel.com, your number one tournament bass fishing resource.